0: halfway through, um, we uh, we took two intentional rabbit trails, if you'll remember last week. I, I rarely do that, <clears throat> but Paul addressed a couple of things to the church at Corinth, and just give you uh, just a real brief uh, review and background so that you know kind of uh, where we left off with it. Uh, Corinth was a very large city, um, and was uh, a port city, it was a trade city, so they had a lot of... Um, a lot of paganism, a lot of uh, idols, idols and idol worship there. They had uh, temples and shrines built to uh, many gods. Um, and uh, the greatest uh, one, the biggest one that they had there was uh, the uh, goddess of love. And uh, so there was a lot of immorality. In fact, in that particular temple, they had over a 1,000 prostitutes, and that was part of their worship and so you can see the vileness and the wickedness of the city, the worldliness that was there. And Paul deals with, in fact, both letters that we have of the, uh, to the Corinthians uh, are both correctional letters. They're letters that Paul is writing to the church trying to keep this vileness uh, of the city um, from coming into the church. And, and it wasn't just trying to keep it from coming into the church, but some of it already had. And he was he was getting onto them and saying, "Listen, this has to this has to be dealt with. You can't just continue uh, to bring this in." But uh, we did deal with a couple of uh, of issues um, regarding uh, the unity of the church was one of those, and uh, that we don't sacrifice uh, that which is right just for the sake of unity. And we've got to be so careful because. Uh, You know, there's no doubt, and and I think all of us could sit sit here this morning and agree, Uh, the Bible teaches us very clearly that God is love. Uh, He loves everybody. And uh, we oftentimes, when we talk with folks, uh, we'll hear them say, well, he's a loving God, and uh, he knows how I am, and so he loves me the way I am. And he does, but because he loves you the way you are, he doesn't want you to stay the way you are. And what most people mean by that when they say that is, he loves me the way I am, so there's no need to change. And the truth of the matter is, he loves us the way we are, and we do need to change. He wants us to change. He wants us to become more like him. And he makes that evident throughout scriptures. And so uh, Paul is, is asking them to have some unity in the church and to be of one mind and of one accord. Uh, but we must understand that when he speaks of these things, uh, he's not saying that they need to be of one mind and one accord in things that are wrong, but in things that are right, those things that would be of uh, righteousness sake. And uh, I was talking to uh, an educator, uh, I think it was this week, might have been last week, and uh, one of the comments that was made is they were talking about uh, the public school education. They said, uh, well, these teachers, uh, what matters is that they have a heart for the kids. And I said, no, that's not right. Uh, what matters is that they have a right heart for the kids. Because you can love the kids and still teach them wrong, but you've got to have a moral standard and a right, a desire to do right and have a heart for them. And so it's not enough for a church to have just unity, it's, it's that we have the right unity. We have unity in righteousness. And so we spent a little bit of time dealing with some of that last week, and uh, we gave you the three divisions of the book. I think we went through all three of those. I'll give them to you real quickly again. And then we'll deal with the, the last part of this. Um, the first division is chapters 1 through 4 where uh, Paul had received a letter from a lady by the name of Chloe uh, telling him about some of the divisions in the church and some of the things that were going on and even some of the, um, the, uh, the um, uh, immorality and, and he, she, they start to deal with that in the end of chapter 4 and going into chapter 5 and 6. Uh so <laughs> I will say this that even though we call this book 1 Corinthians um it is actually the second letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. We do not have in our Bibles uh the first letter. Uh but we do know that he speaks of it in this letter that he had written to them before about these matters. So we know that there was at least one other letter uh prior to this that we do not have as part of our scripture. Uh But uh, the first section of the book is chapters 1 to 4. There were some cults that were rising up. People were becoming very, uh, if you remember, this is where they say, uh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and and they all seem to kind of have their little niches, and there was a lot of pride in who they followed. And it was almost a, a status symbol, if you named the right name, of who you were following. And Paul puts that to rest. He says, "Look, that that should not be." So he deals with false pride. He makes it clear that it's not about man's wisdom, uh, or their or their uh, mannerisms, or their personality. But he speaks the fact that the truth of the gospel is what is important, and that it brings people to Christ. Um, he tells them not to have these these divisions among them. They shouldn't have these kind of. Uh, they, sh- they shouldn't have these kind of. Uh, divisions in their midst regarding who they were following. Uh, It's God that gives the increase. We're all in this together. A few uh, weeks ago, Brother Wehmeyer called me. uh, Brother uh, Jim Wehmeyer, he's a dear friend. I've known him for many, many years. He and I are very, very good friends. And he called me the other day, a few weeks ago, and said, Brother Greg, I just wanted to uh, call you and tell you I'm going to be starting another church. And uh, I know know his mindset behind it was he, he was perhaps maybe afraid that uh, I would be like, well, why is he starting a church right here in our backyard? But the, and he, he was kind of he was like, I just wanted you to know it for me and not be upset. I'm not trying to steal people from your church, that kind of thing. And I just told him, I said, Brother Waymeyer, we could have 10 more, we could have 100 more churches like these in this county and still not reach everybody. Uh, I learned a long time ago as a pastor, we don't deal with, you know, God brings the people into the church that he wants in this church. And he'll move them to other churches if that's where he wants them to be. And you learn to be content in those things. Because it's not about Brother Greg or Brother Waymire or Keith the Heights Baptist Church or another church. It's about God giving the increase. And, in fact, it's interesting that even in the early church in Jerusalem, God sent some persecution their way to scatter them, get them to go out into the highways and hedges and start new churches. And I think one of the great ministries of the church is to help in establishing new churches that we don't just soak it all up and and hold it, but we soak it all up and then we go out there and we spread it. We give it to everybody. And uh, Paul kind of deals with a little bit of this. He says, look, there shouldn't be any kind of schism there. There shouldn't be any kind of uh, uh, friction between who you're following. We're all working to get the gospel to those that are lost. And uh, God is the one that gives the increase. He's the one that gets the glory for it, not men. And so he deals with that in that first section. The second section is chapters 5 and 6, and this is where he deals specifically with uh, the immorality that was already taking place in the church, and uh, he wasn't getting on to them that it was being done in the church. What he got on to them about was they had not dealt with it. If, if immorality had come into the church, and the church at Corinth had dealt with it, Paul probably would have commended them for that. But the problem was they were not dealing with the immorality in the church, uh, to the point where there was actually incest, uh, where uh, a man's, uh, a son's uh, dad passed away, and he married his mom, or uh, began to have immoral relations with his mom, and so, and and it was being openly done in the church, and you got, again, you got (laughs) to, sometimes we think of that, and we think, boy, how could a church ever allow that to happen? Yet we see quite a bit of that in our churches today, don't we? Where it's not dealt with, people don't teach on that or preach on that much anymore, and it's just kind of swept under the carpet. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, you've got to remember the city that they're living in. Uh, these people are living surrounded by the world, and there's a lesson to be learned from that, and that is this. No matter how sincere we are and how much we love God and how much we long to do what's right, when we immerse ourselves In worldly uh, environments, it will always have an influence on us. And that's one of the reasons why so often in Scripture, the Bible tells us that we're to uh, abstain from all appearance of evil. We're supposed to uh, be separate from those things. I know we have to live in the world. We can't leave this world. But we don't have to participate in the worldly things. We don't have to go where the worldly environments are. Uh, And there's there's good wisdom in that. And that is because... It will always influence us, as it did this church. They were in, they were, uh, in the middle of a, a, a very depraved city, and it had an influence on them. It caused them to drift from the truth. And so he deals with this, uh, saying that they needed to remove the, the, the person that was doing this if they were not willing to stop doing it. Uh, at the point where they repent of that and get that right and stop doing it, then he said, you know they can come back in at that point, but uh, but you need to if they're going to do this they, they need to not not be a part of it and then he dealt with uh, the testimony of the church uh, regarding the issue of going to law one against the other. Uh, they were having people in the church, somebody did somebody else wrong, maybe in business or uh, that caused a loss on, on a particular way in a particular way, and they were taking each other to court uh, and taking the law and suing them. And Paul dealt with this. He says, listen, that's a poor testimony to the world. Christians are supposed to get along. They're supposed to be able to treat each other well. And when we do this, it's a poor testimony. He said in those matters, uh, those matters, the issues of somebody doing someone wrong in that aspect, he says, set them that are the least esteemed among you in the church in judgment over the situation. And uh, let let them handle this thing and uh, take care of this uh, as a Christian should. And uh, so he deals with that in chapters 5 and 6. And then the last section of the book is chapter 7 through the end of the book, chapter 16. And uh, he, it's during this time that he addresses, and this is kind of where we left off last week, uh, he addresses a list of questions that were sent to him. So the first two sections, we're dealing with reports people sent him. Uh, The first one was somebody saying there's division in the church, there's immorality in the church, and so he deals with those two things because he was given that report. Uh, But apparently the church uh, at uh, Corinth had sent him a list of questions that they wanted his input on. And so chapter 7 through chapter 16 is primarily him answering uh, just basic questions that the church had sent him. I'll give you a list of some of the subject matter that he dealt with Uh, In chapter number 7, he deals with the topic of marriage, uh, celibacy if you're single, uh, and then divorce, the issue of divorce. He deals with all three of those in chapter 7, as well as uh, the issue of remarriage. Uh, When is it okay to remarry and when it is not okay to remarry. Um, And then chapter 8, he deals uh, with several issues, uh, and this takes place from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 11, One of them is the issue of Christian liberty uh, versing the law of love. Um, And I want to take take just a minute to explain this because a lot of times I think we misunderstand this truth or this teaching. This is where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Uh, When we got saved, we're not under the law anymore. There are things that we do today that were illegal for the nation of Israel to do in the Old Testament. Uh, we eat things that we don't, we, don't, we don't stop and say, well, hey, was this sacrificed to an idol? Or is this a clean animal? We don't ask those things, we just, we just eat food and, because we have liberty on this side of Calvary. However, uh, Paul said there are some brothers and he called them weaker brothers. They weren't quite as mature spiritually. They hadn't learned these things yet. That um, that took offense uh, if something had been sacrificed to an idol, that they shouldn't eat it. Um, and uh, he deals primarily with that issue, but he uses that as an application and a principle for some other liberty that we have in Christ. And his point was this. He said, even though I have liberty, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble... I'm not going to do it. And so you have the stumbling block uh, issue that comes into play. And sometimes one of two things happen. Either we take the extreme on the liberty in Christ, and we say that allows us then to live like the world. That is not what that means. But if if we do fail in some areas, uh, we're not going to be put to death for it under the law. We have liberty in that. We're not going to lose our salvation over it. Um, and then in other things that were ceremonial law uh, to the Israelites, we're not under that bondage anymore. We have liberty in those areas. Uh, and so Paul was dealing with that. Uh, and But sometimes a lot of people will take, even Christians will take uh, that passage and say, well, I have liberty in Christ, so uh, God's okay with however I live. That is not, the, we, we've taken that out of its context of what it's trying to say there. Yes, there is liberty in Christ, but that doesn't mean we go live like the world. The other part of that problem is there are people who, are on the other side of that coin, who hold to uh, things that, to be real honest with you, are either a, a matter of conscience, a personal standard, uh, and and it's fine to have those. In fact, I have some in my life, and if the truth be told, every single one of us has some, some uh, standard or some line that we draw that is a personal one. It's not something that we found black and white in Scripture on, but that's the line we don't cross. And all of us have them. They, they may be different places, but all of us have those. And Paul was saying there, there comes a point where if that brother is going to be upset at you for not having the same standard, then sometimes we have to forego our liberty in Christ because we love that brother. And even though I have liberty in that area... I'm not going to take advantage of that liberty because it may cause my brother to be bitter or to be upset or to have offense. And he puts the burden on the more mature Christian, the one who has the liberty and knows he has the liberty, to be the one to say, even though I have it, I'm not going to debate him. I'm not going to show him how he's wrong. I'm not going to fight him over this issue. I'm just going to be gentle. I'm going to love him. And if that's an offense to him, then I won't do it. And so sometimes we are to lay aside the liberty that we do have. We're not forced to, but we should willingly do that for the sake of a weaker brother. And Paul deals with that issue. Uh, One of these days, Lord willing, I'll preach on that actual chapter. I have dealt with it one other time about three years ago, four years ago, uh, but it's about time to probably deal with that one again, just to try to be a help to some folks uh, in that area. So anyway, sometimes those gifts uh, are to, uh, that uh, liberty is to be set aside for the sake of of a weaker brother. Then the last section, or the last uh, thing is is just chapter 15 kind of stands on its own. And this is where Paul takes an opportunity. The church at Corinth had a lot of misconstrued ideas about the resurrection. And so Paul takes chapter 15. If you ever want clarity about the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul just really broadens it out, clarifies it. And uh, it makes it very easily understood. Uh, we do know that the author of Corinthians was the Apostle Paul. Um, uh, he uh, wrote this um, while he was in, I think it was Thessalonica. Uh, he was there, I think it was for for uh, three months, and he had written this. And uh, he had actually sent this letter. He didn't personally hand deliver this letter, but he actually sent this letter, it seems to be uh, from a, a reference in this uh, book, it seems to me that he sent this letter uh, by the hand of another uh, lady uh, that went and took it to the church at Corinth, and um, uh, there seems to be that, that possibility. Uh, but uh, people as late as 95 A.D. were referencing the Apostle Paul as the author of this book, so again, it was fairly well known by the early church, that first century church, uh, that Paul was the author of uh, First Corinthians uh, Clement of Rome also uh, wrote to the Corinthian church and he even cited some of the epistle that Paul had written and he referred to it as Paul's writing or Paul's letter and uh, so again there's, there's quite a bit of historical uh, evidence that Paul is that, that there's really not hardly any kind of debate at all on the fact that he is the author uh, of 1 Corinthians and then uh, the... Uh, the time of First Corinthians, um, I gave you some of this information last week. There was over 700,000 people in Corinth at the time. Out of those, two-thirds of them were slaves. Uh, it was a very wicked town. There was uh, a lot of persecution uh, that happened in Macedonia that pushed a lot of the Christians down into Athens and then later down into Corinth, and that's where uh, Corinth got its start. Paul was influential. He wasn't the one who Actually founded the church, but he was influential in the early days of founding the church uh, with another group of Christians that were there. Uh, it was also in this area while he was down there in Corinth that he met Aquila and Priscilla, and he was uh, making tents with them, whether they were the ones that taught him to make tents or whether he was already uh, versed in it and just were there with them because they were tent makers too. Um, uh, anyway, he did make tents there to try to help not be a burden. Uh, to the churches that he was there to help. Um, while he was there in Corinth, uh, Silas and Timothy joined him. Uh, it was also here that, I'm sorry, I had it backwards. It was here while he was in Corinth that he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, not the other way around. I'm sorry about that. I had that backwards. Uh, and in the, he was there for about 18 months. And at about 51 AD, uh, he left. And this is where Apollos, if you, you hear reference of Apollos in First Corinthians Uh, It was when Paul left in 51 AD that Apollos came and helped pastor that church, and that's why, again, there were some divisions there early on. Uh, He came from the church at Ephesus, so he was certainly a well-seasoned preacher. Uh, Not a whole lot is known of Apollos other than that, uh, other than he was just a a good, solid preacher and doctrinally sound. the Christ of Corinthians, Paul proclaims the relevance of the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of the believer's life, and he deals with it uh, in dealing with uh, wisdom. He he, predicts, or he depicts Christ as uh, the wisdom uh, that we have comes from him. He shows that uh, Christ is also the source of any type of righteousness that we would have in our life, that Christ is also the one that helps us Uh, in the uh, work of sanctification to purify our lives and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, he deals with the fact that Christ is the source of our redemption. So he points to Christ in those four areas, our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And then we have uh, several keys to uh, Corinthians. First of all, the theme of the whole book pretty much is the correction of carnal living. Uh, Again, he's trying to be corrective to the church at Corinth. Uh, the key verses, let's take a moment to look at those, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. And again, keeping in mind what his purpose is in writing this letter uh, to uh, correct carnal living, to get people to say uh, we need to keep the world out of the church, keep the church purified and in, in, uh, holy. Uh, keep this in mind as we look at this key verse. Uh, because oftentimes we read this verse or we quote this verse, and we don't know the setting that it was written in. Uh, this is the setting that it was in. They were a very corrupt church, very carnal church. And Paul writes this in First Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And when he asks that little question, what with a question mark, it's it's all it, it it's it certainly is assumed that it's a rhetorical question. But this is a a uh, a question that expresses Paul's wonderment at this, as if to say, I don't understand why you don't know this yet. Is this the case? You don't understand this yet? And that's kind of the sense that that what is given in. And it's, it's almost a, uh, an incredulous uh, expression of what? I, I don't understand this. What? Really? Uh, and he goes on to say, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And it's amazing how many times in Paul's epistles he says, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. He's always talking about walking in the Spirit. But here in Corinth, he says, look, I don't want just your spirit to be right. You need to be right in your body too. And this is the problem that they were facing in the church at Corinth. Your life, your lifestyle, the things that you're living need to be right. And it's because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So keep in mind the setting uh, when you read this verse at what Paul is saying. And it's interesting because he he questions this with a wonderment, as if to say, you guys should already know this. And I would say this, I believe personally, strongly, that this principle that he teaches in verse 19 about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the impact that that should have on our life, our body, and on our spirit, I don't believe that that's advanced Christianity. I believe that's Christianity 101. I think it's the beginning oracles of, of the things of the Christian life. It I, I certainly believe because Paul Paul made it sound like this is something you should know. You should just know this. And yet they didn't. Uh, they didn't follow after it. The second key verse or passage is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look also in verse number twelve. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter ten and verse number twelve. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. I dealt with this verse a few Wednesday nights ago, and how it's misused often to say God won't put anything more on you than you can bear regarding the circumstances of life. That is not the context of this verse. The context of this verse, because of the setting that it's in, the church that it's written to, and the purpose that Paul is making here, it is dealing with specifically temptation to sin. That God will not allow a temptation to sin to come that is greater than you're able to withstand. And every time, every time that temptation comes, there is always a way of escape. Which is why it's very difficult for us to say, Well, I just fell into sin. As if we were walking along, minding our own business, and sin jumped out and grabbed a hold of us without us having a decision in the matter. The truth is, every single time we sin, we determine to do it. We decide for ourselves, that's what I'm going to do. And because God has promised us, he's given us this, that every single time sin is tempting us, he makes a way of escape for us. And it is up to us to either choose the way of escape or to sin. Sad to say, far too often we sin. And uh, I'm thankful that he allows us, even as Christians, to come to him and to restore fellowship with him once again, to confess those faults to him and those sins to him. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that verse was not written to the lost. It was written to the Christian. So that we have a way when we sin again, even after we're saved, to restore that fellowship with him once again. And then the key chapter is chapter number 13. Very, very famous chapter. Uh, Probably the most famous chapter in the New Testament that is most often quoted. Uh, Some people call it the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And he goes on dealing with the benefits of charity and the comparison with uh, with uh, faith and hope and charity, and out of the three of those, the greatest of them being charity. And uh, you can take some time to read through that. And again, even even reading that verse or that chapter, it helps us to understand the setting. It helps us to understand what the church at Corinth was going through. So that when we read that chapter, all of a sudden, some of the things that he says and how he says them, kind of helps us wake up and say, oh, I see why he's saying that to them. It's helping them with this issue. And hopefully it will be a help, a lot more help to you and I as we read that chapter, knowing better why Paul was writing to the church of Corinth, what they were involved in, what was going on in their lives. And so I hope that will be a help to you. Lord willing, next week we'll go into 2 Corinthians, and uh, unless the rapture happens. And if that happens, we'll let the Lord teach the lesson. He does far better than I do anyway. All right? Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer.